This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Children's health issues caused by overeating are in the media spotlight now more than ever before. Parents and policymakers alike are concerned about the continued rise in the number of children who overeat, and the evidence is mounting. There's no question about this, that children's diets have a lifelong effect. Unfortunately, discussing eating habits with their children is one of the most daunting tasks parents can face. We all know that healthy eating habits can put kids' and teens' well-being and self-confidence at risk. Something, of course, has got to change here. But what? And how can we bring it up? so our kids can really hear us. You know, you may have tried to help your child, but without a lot of success, and part of the reason is because you've overlooked the root cause of the struggle with eating and exercise, their thinking. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about thinking and how that affects children and their diet and their decision to exercise. We're going to be talking about triggers and cravings and self-sabotaging behavior and figuring out what the patterns are. There, We're going to talk about how you can define your child's values and find the motivation to change. And we're going to be talking about how kids can learn to eat mindfully by savoring their meals and their snacks. And finally, we'll be talking about how you can help your child and yourself, for that matter, set realistic eating and exercise goals. Freeing your child from overeating is going to start when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Okay, forest animals, kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow, have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Michelle Maidenberg, who is the author of Free Your Child from Overeating, a handbook for helping kids and teens, and it features 53 mind-body strategies for lifelong health. We're, of course, not going to be able to get to all 53, but we hope we'll get to quite a few of them. Michelle, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You talk about how the big issue that parents are overlooking when talking about or thinking about issues having to do with weight and overeating is the kids thinking. Explain that. Yeah, they're thinking and feeling um, and feelings. So, you know, often when we talk about weight and health in general, when I do a workshop, for example, I'll ask people, how many of you have lost weight? And, you know, a majority of the hands go up um, claiming that they've lost weight over over time because everybody has resources on how to lose weight. People know the strategies on how to eat better and also exercise, but then when I ask the question, how many of you have sustained it over a long period of time, hands go down. Ah, right. So you're you're talking about just generally speaking, how many have you ever lost weight? Yeah, the sustaining, sustaining it over time. That's the hard part, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because there's, you know, because of the resource, because of the internet, and just how many resources we have out there, books, you know, everybody knows knows what they need to do. Everybody knows there's no magic trick. Sure, sure. So it's really the thoughts and feelings that get, it's a barrier in terms of the sustaining part over time. 
I'm wondering, though, if there isn't something else that's going on at the same time, which is that the parents are not recognizing when their kids are overweight in the same sort of way. And I remember seeing some uh, yeah, some studies about that, study. that there were, yeah, about that. Yeah. I mean, if you don't think your kid is overweight, you're not going to see that there's a problem. And if you don't think there's a problem, then your kid's just big boned. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I always say in general that everyone needs to learn these strategies because over time, as we mature and age, our metabolism slows down and we always need to be able to be cognizant of our health, even if you don't have an issue necessarily when you're younger, right? Um, So it's really valuable and helpful to teach all kids. But yes, there has been a recent study that did um, find that parents are in somewhat of denial when their children are overweight. And, you know, what I think is, you know, I think there are times when parents are in denial. I think there are times when, you know, for example, I have parents coming over to me quite often, and they say, oh, I want to recommend this book to my friend. I want to recommend this book to my sister-in-law. But, I, I, you know, I'm embarrassed. I don't know how to bring it up to them. So there's this taboo around weight. Mm-hmm. And I think people are just afraid to talk about it, you know, um, in terms of how it affects kids' health, how it affects the way they look how it affects the way they socialize. I mean, there's so many elements around it. Sure. That parents, yeah. if you think about it, it would make sense for parents to be in denial of it. You know, you, you think about things like The Biggest Loser and shows mm-hmm. like that, and, and I can mm-hmm. see in some ways how that could work both ways. On one hand, it could be that it, it should get weight issues out of the closet, so to speak, somewhat, where it should be a little bit more normal to talk about it. On the other hand, I can see it contributing to the problem from those studies which is, well, my kid is not nearly that big, mm-hmm. so therefore there's not a problem. Right. And also a lot of kids, even though they may be overweight, a lot of them do participate in sports or play competitive sports. So a lot of the backdrop is also, oh, but my kid is really active. So, you know, it's not a major issue for them. Um, I think with all those shows, the reality shows that you're speaking to, if you think about the way that... Um, you know, they talk about weight loss. It's all about boot camp and working out them out really, really hard, you know. And, I mean, there's there's a really almost um, sadistic way of treating weight loss, you know, particularly in those shows. And for those who don't agree to participate in that way, then it's not going to happen for you, right? And and even, even the, the people, if they look, if they, um, you know, follow them over time, most of them do gain their weight back. Right. Well, we don't want to hear about that, though. I mean, mm, right? Sometimes no, we do. <laughs> no, I, I know. Well, we, yeah. we need to, but yeah. people generally don't want to hear about the backsliding. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind of where I come in because, you know, there's, there's this missing piece here where people don't really want to address is that this is, you know, the way we deal with weight loss and health really is a medical model, and it doesn't quite work. You know, people don't take the psychological barriers into account. And in order to have long-term sustaining change, there needs to be an understanding of the psychological barriers. All right. So you're a parent. You've got a kid who, if you really think about it honestly, you can say really probably could stand to lose a few pounds, Mm -hmm. which I'm I'm guessing in many cases is correlated with the parents needing to lose a few pounds as well. Sometimes, not all the time. Yeah. So what's going on? I mean, what do you need to know as a parent about what's happening inside your child's head that's keeping this child from making good choices? Well, I think it's 
they need to understand their child from a biopsychosocial perspective. They need to know their, you know, biologically what's going on for them, psychologically, socially, you know, in all arenas. I think, I think it's also, you know, what's what the barrier is. So it could be emotional eating. It could be um, like perseverating, like hyper focusing on certain thoughts. It could be rationalizing their thoughts. It could be, you know, difficulty acceptance over their thoughts. So there's so many different ways or barriers that could get in the way of the sustaining that we're talking about. And I think that's, you know, these skills that I talk about cut across any kind of stuckness or barrier. It's not only weight loss per se, but it can be procrastination, anxiety, or anything else for that matter. Okay. Um, so it's really, it's mindfulness-based. And all the strategies that I use is really couched in um, cognitive behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, and mindfulness. So that's why they're really user-friendly and they cut across all different kinds of challenges. Can you explain that a little bit, the, the sure. cognitive behavioral? Because I, I, the way sure. that I've heard about that and read about it is it's it's more about uh, about honesty, I guess. I mean, you know, really and truly, how likely is that to happen? Or, you know... It, if you had to put yourself on a scale, really, really where, honestly, where do you fall on the scale? But how does that work in the way that you're talking about? It's not yeah. quite that model. Yeah, so in a very simple way of understanding it, it's how our thoughts impact our feelings, which then impact our behavior. That's really kind of, if we had to define what it is. So often, for example, if you have a thought, right, I'm going to have that cupcake, right? And then the feeling attached to it is maybe mixed feelings, right? I really, really wanted to have to have it now. And, oh, gosh, I shouldn't have that. I just ate a whole meal, right? And then you have behavior, an action that you take on behalf of that. Now, what we tend to do, because we tend to either deny, um, disregard, or ward off negative or uncomfortable emotions or thoughts. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we'll quickly eat the, you know, the cupcake or whatever it is um, in order to ward off those negative thoughts because they're making us uncomfortable. So the nuance of it is really is, is being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And okay. So if you're recognizing, oh, I really want to have that muffin right, or that cupcake, and then the thought is, well, oh, but it's not so bad. You know, I could have it. I'll make up for it tomorrow, whatever the rationalization is, right? You could say to yourself, I'm having the thought that I want to have that cupcake mm -hmm. rather than I'm going to have the cupcake, right? So there's a whole bunch of different kind of strategies that you could use, right? And also, in terms of mindfulness, if you have a moment in between the thought, the feeling, and the behavior, you can actually problem-solve it through. Right. Right? Right. Which, which we don't, you know, we're on autopilot. We don't really have, most people and kids, you know, and parents tell me that by the time they have the thought and by the time the cupcake or muffin is in their mouth, there's no room. Too late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll challenge them on that. I'll say, mm -hmm. mm, not really. I said, let's break this down a little bit. And I give them literally a list of like 35 rationalizations, and they laugh. Oh, my God, that sounds like me. Oh, that sounds like me. Oh, that sounds like me. <laughs> and it varies, right? Because one moment you could have one rationalization, another time you could have another rationalization. But it's being really more conscious of it so that when the rationalization comes up, you could laugh at yourself and say, oh, there it goes, right? Here comes my rationalization. <laughs> <laughs> and there and goes my funny mind. It's playing tricks on me again. It wants me to believe that I need to have that right now. And that works pretty well. It does. I mean, I use these strategies day in and day out, and they're very, very highly effective. Um, they really are. They're pretty amazing how, you know, how well 
you know, and also when you're more conscious of it and it's happening over and over again, you get more familiar with it. You get to understand how your mind works. You get to understand what tricks your mind plays on you, right? And you're also more expansive. So you're willing and more accepting of it too. Instead of being, let's say, distressed by it mm-hmm. right, or feeling guilty by it, you can understand that it's just thoughts. You don't necessarily need to behave on behalf of the thoughts, which right. with the cognitive behavioral therapy, we recognize that we once we have the thought, and that's the piece that you were talking about, we could actually think about, is this, is this a real thought, right? So don't believe everything you think, right? Is this a thought? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can actually problem-solve through that. Talking with Michelle Maidenberg, who's the author of Free Your Child from Overeating, a handbook for helping kids and teens. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Michelle about freeing your child from overeating. I'm Armin Brott, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. I'm four years old, and I'm the only one in my whole class that can tie his own shoes. My mom took me to the circus for my birthday. Half my friends already went, but now I've gone too. Most kids make fun of me because I still believe in the tooth fairy. But I got five bucks yesterday. I believe. A third of the kids in my eighth grade class drink alcohol regularly. Over 99% of my class has been offered illegal drugs. Half of my college classmates binge drink, abuse drugs, or do both. But the frequent dinners I had with my family have helped make sure I'm not one of them. Go to CasaFamilyDay.org, take the Family Day Pledge, and get tips on how to talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol. Have dinner with them often, and you can significantly lower their risk of substance abuse. Dinner makes a difference. A message from the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, I'm Armin Brott talking with Michelle Maidenberg, who's the author of Free Your Child from Overeating, a handbook for helping kids and teens. Wondering about uh, some studies that I've, I've looked at and how that fits into your model. And it, it's, it's el- adding a certain amount of logic. And you probably have seen these studies that they're done at uh, have, having people look at menus where there's a menu item, fast food menus usually. So there's just the item and then there's just the item with how many calories it is, which doesn't seem to influence anybody. But the things that really seem to change behavior are the menu item and how long you're going to have to walk or run or something in order to burn that off. Do you ever incorporate that kind of reality-based stuff into it, or is that a, a different no. approach? No, because, um, again, those types of techniques are kind of in and out pretty quickly. It's like, you know, I... I often say, you know, if you look in social media, they say 10 ways to be happy, 20 ways to be happy, 15 ways to be happy, right? And they, you know, there's always this kind of idea that we could change our thinking, right? And we could think differently. So when you see how many steps you need to take in order to burn off the hot dog or whatever it is, right? In the moment, you may have the thought, wow, I don't know if I need to eat this, or I don't know if this is great for me, but once you go home, right, and you still have that hot dog in your mind, <laughs> you're going to grab the hot dog. <laughs> right, okay. So it's, 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 it's good for the moment, but I, what I'm suggesting is we need long-term strategies. These quick snippets, you know, that last a matter of five minutes or in the moment that are more circumstantial, don't work. You know, we need longer-term types of methodologies that really help over time so that you're 
you know, if you're having the strategies that I'm proposing, you know, when you get home, you'll still be thinking about it. It's not going to just be, you know, the circumstances setting when you're in the restaurant. Exactly. Right. Now, you talk about the four P's mm-hmm. and which predict and plan and put your plan into action and then practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. Among all those, there are only four of them. Uh, so talk about what that's about and how that helps. So the predict is really, you know, it's, it's encouraging self-acceptance. So we can't always, when we're talking about expansion, we're talking about really understanding how our mind works. You know, some of us struggle with mean, you know, mean-spirited thoughts, or some of us struggle with avoidance of, you know, discomfort or frustration tolerance. You know, we each have our thing. Um, so it's a real comprehensive assessment and understanding of how you're thinking about things, especially relative to your, you know, eating and, and um, you know, food behavior, activity, et cetera. Um, and when I say self-acceptance, we're not doing it begrudgingly and saying, oh, I have to accept the way I am, ugh, you know, whatever that is. It's really understanding it and just being with yourself very mindfully as opposed to comparing yourself to others or wishing you were someone else or whatever the case is. Um, so we could have a general gauge of how what general direction our thinking goes to and understanding it better. Planning is really um, having a blueprint for when when incidences come up or circumstances that you know how you want to be behaving and understanding it better. So I do a whole piece on values, and that's a really huge foundation to the work that I do. So it's not enough. Like, for example, parents often want their children, right, when their children are looking, let's say, to eat unhealthily or whatever the case is. They'll use, well, if you eat healthy, you'll live a long life, you know, and you'll be healthy. And, you know, kids who are 12, 15, whatever age, they're not thinking about their mortality. So it doesn't quite... No, they're going to live forever, right. Yeah. I mean, they're invincible at that age. (laughs) Um, So you're not really speaking to what's important, even though it's important to you as a parent, let's say. So we really need to get to the thrust of what's important to the person who's looking to make this kind of change in their life and to sustain it over time. So when, again, when you're planning for it, you're getting a good sense of, you know, what your value is and how you want to carry out that value. Putting into action is really becoming a problem solver and having very specific ways that you problem solve through challenges as they come up. And practicing is really reinforcing these skills over and over again. And it's, it's a lifelong practice. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, it's something that you have to practice day in and day out. It's a way of living. It's not just strategies that you mm-hmm. that you uh, implement, but it's a way of living. Well, let's talk about something else that, that sometimes gets overlooked in this whole thing as well. There's so much emphasis on weight and mm-hmm. calories and mm-hmm. diet and everything that you're putting into your mouth and the, a very important component to whether you're going to be able to keep weight off and or p- take it off in the first place and then keep it off is what you do with your body, the other parts of your body, your legs and arms and, mm-hmm. and uh, getting exercise. So how do you incorporate that in? Because, you know, you're talking about a lot of these kids are active, they're doing sports, and I remember looking Mm -hmm. at some really sort of scary charts that were chronicling a a connection or at least a correlation between the big move towards uh, everybody doing sports and increase in obese kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, So sports is not enough necessarily. No, no. And and the the kids, even though they're playing sports, it's still not enough, actually. If 
there's a whole chapter in my book on um, active living. Mm-hmm. What, what, for example, American Heart Association and other organizations um, are advocating for, kids don't nearly get as much as they need to, ever, particularly in schools. Um, so as much as they're getting on the weekends, let's say, or practice time during the week, they're still not getting enough. I mean, that's just, Right, you know, so how do, you, how do you get more of that? So I think what you were talking about before was kind of the calorie in, calorie out approach, mm-hmm. which is which is pretty passe, um, you know, particularly when working with kids, because um, we don't, you know, especially with mindful, more mindful eating, we don't really look at weight and calories. We look at how our bodies feel, you know, in terms of understanding what it is, you know, in terms of, you know, being satiated, right, physiologically. So it's really getting to understand your body, how it works and functions. And um, recognizing its signals. Yeah, 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 which is a really key component here. We don't learn that generally. I know for myself when I was a kid, you know, we had this big, huge drawer. And we could take whatever we wanted 24-7. I had no understanding of how my body worked or when it was full or satiated or when I was thirsty. I just ate whenever I felt like it, <laughs> you know. It was kind of free reign. So most kids don't really have an understanding about that. Uh, you know, one thing that I teach my kids is I, I and I ask them, are you eating with your eyes or are you eating with your tummy? Although I say that, you know, and, it, it, you know, they halt and they think about it and they kind of get in their body and try to get an, a sense of that. But it's really important for kids, you know, and adults for that matter, to really get a sense of their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, it's more about mindfulness when you're eating, understanding, because most of the time it's your mind that's sabotaging you. It really is. You know, your mind kind of playing tricks on you and communicating what it wants. It's not really coming from your body. There are very, you know, few people who really grew up with mindful eating. Um, and we, what we also know, and there's controversy just this last year, there was a whole study done on, you know, fats, right? Everybody always avoided fats because they were scared of them. But now we know that, you know, there are different types of fats that are actually very healthy, and they actually help with weight loss. So there's always changes in science and research that's Mm -hmm. always coming up all the time. What are those fats? I'm sorry? What are those fats that help? Like avocado, you know, um, they're healthy fats, you know, that we want to make sure that we're, um, not avoiding as well, and we tend to because of being concerned, you know, uh, you know, olive oil, you know, those types of more, you know, the healthier fats. Right. Um, well, then there's a the problem of having the non-fat things or low-fat things that mm-hmm. you know, somehow becomes turned around in the mind as an excuse to eat twice or three yeah. times as much of it. Yeah. Which and those are loaded typically with a lot of sodium and all different kinds types of sugars, which we know inevitably they'll break down to fat if you don't burn it off. So, um, and there's, they're also processed. So you're also getting processed foods. So there's a lot of, again, there's always research coming out in terms of health and, and what, you know, in terms of calories and health. Um, so we're always learning new things, but it's, it's really important to understand that activity is supposed to be done on a daily basis. And there's advocacy for kids playing for an hour a day, you know, and high rigorous activity. Most kids don't get that. Um, so it takes an effort both on behalf of parents and also kids to be able to really function that way. You know, how many, there's a lot of pressure, for example, when we go to birthday parties, um, when you send, you know, your kids to school with snacks, 
right? And my kids also tell me, oh, but, you know, so-and-so has potato chips, and this one has this, and, you know, you always send us with the healthier snacks. I hear it all the time. <laughs> yeah. You're <laughs> so, just a bad parent, Michelle. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's what we're up against, because when they go to a birthday party, it's expected that they're going to have chips and chocolate and cake and ice cream and pizza and everything else, right? Even if you go to restaurants or kids' menus, what are on the kids' menus? It's getting better, actually, but you'll see those fast food of types of foods as opposed to real people food, adult yep. food. Yeah. Michelle Maidenberg is the author of Free Your Child from Overeating, a handbook for helping kids and teens. Michelle, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. There once was a boy wizard whose name was Larry Smarter. Larry, why weren't you in Professor Dinky Doodle's mythical creature classification class? Well, I'm taking Algebra 2 in a foreign language. Oh, so you can talk to unicorns? Uh, exactly. Unless they're French. Larry wanted to go to college, so he visited knowhowtogo.org to find the classes he really needed. Getting into college doesn't happen magically. Learn more at knowhowtogo.org. Brought to you by the American Council on Education, Lumina Foundation for Education, and the Ad Council. Hey there, welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Here's a question that I got that reminded me of when my daughter was about six years old because she went through exactly the same thing. Dear Mr. Dad, my six-year-old daughter has nightmares at least a few times every week. We've talked to our pediatrician, but he says that nightmares are pretty normal at this age. The doctor may not be concerned, but my wife and I are. How can we help our daughter? Your doctor is right. Nightmares are pretty normal, affecting 10 to 50% of kids 6 and under, but that doesn't make it any easier on you when your child wakes up screaming in the middle of the night. Before we talk about how to help your daughter, you need to figure out exactly what's going on. Is she having nightmares or night terrors? They sound similar, but are actually very different. Nightmares generally happen in the last half of sleep, somewhere around 2 a.m. or later. Your child will wake up with a clear memory of a scary dream, and she will be able to talk about it and may even be afraid to go back to sleep. It's not clear what causes nightmares, but they're often associated with something the child has seen or is worried about. Night terrors, on the other hand, happen in the first few hours after falling asleep. The child may thrash, kick, moan, or scream for 10 to 30 minutes. Her eyes may be wide open, but she's basically unconscious. The good news is that she'll go back to sleep and will have no memory of the incident. The bad news is that night terrors are really, really scary to watch, and there's very little that you can do about them. That said, here are a few things you can do to help. First, make sure you can always hear her if she cries out in the night. Get a monitor if you don't already have one. Take it easy, really. If you act scared, you're essentially telling her that, yes, there is something to be frightened about. Reassure her in a calm, soothing voice that it's safe to go back to sleep. Stay with her until she's settled down. Reading a story is a great way to ease her back to sleep. Discuss the nightmare, but only if your child is open to it. If she remembers her dreams in the morning, encourage her to talk about the frightening parts and to make up a happy ending to it. But if she doesn't want to discuss it, don't push the issue. Finally, probe gently. One recent study found that 36% of children who have nightmares are the victims of bullying. 
Is something stressful going on in your daughter's life, such as moving to a new home or mom and dad fighting a lot? Now, here's what not to do. If she's having a night terror, don't try to wake her. Hold her if she'll let you and stay with her till she falls back to sleep. Don't let her sleep with you, especially after a nightmare. Kids' minds work in strange ways, and she may get the idea that she should be afraid of her own bed. You may also be helping to create a habit that's going to be difficult to break. Don't make fun of her, criticize, or tell her that nightmares aren't real. They seem pretty darn real to her, and blowing them off as trivial will only upset her more. Instead, ensure her that all of us have nightmares and that they are normal. While nightmares may be associated with emotional distress, they and night terrors are often random events. Reassurance and support from you are usually enough to help your child until she outgrows the problem. However, if the nightmares or night terrors affect her ability to function during waking hours, or if you suspect that they're causing any health problems, you've got to consult her doctor right away. If you've got a question or a comment for us here at Positive Parenting, please drop us a line through the website, MrDad.com. We'll be back next week with another Ask Mr. Dad segment or a Parents at Play segment, depending on which week it is. Hey, but hold on just a second. Don't go anywhere because there's a lot more of Positive Parenting straight ahead. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. It's Practical Polly's radio show. If you're just figuring out that healthier cooking oils are better than solid fats, you may be asking, now what am I going to do with all these tubs of lard? Ever had one of those moments when your favorite skinny jeans feel too tightly tailored? (laughs) Generously apply lard to your hips and thighs and those fancy pants will slide on like a dream. Or here's a family-friendly idea. How about making your yard into a lard fun park? Frost your driveway with a nice thick coating and give those kiddos a downhill thrill no matter what time of year. Having a bad hair day? Yep. A little lump of lard can tame your flyaways in a jiffy. So there's no need for that lard to go to waste or to your waste. But get your best heart-healthy trade-up with healthier oils, like canola, olive, or other vegetable oils, which can actually lower your chances for heart disease. Now that's a tip worth keeping for life. Learn more at heart.org slash face the fats. Canola Info is the national supporter of the American Heart Association's Face the Fats campaign. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brott from the MrDad.com radio network. Hey there, welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brott. What comes to mind when you think about the word hackers? Probably malevolent creators of computer viruses or maybe bored coders who are wreaking havoc on the Internet. Well, those people exist. But there's a larger, more influential group of hackers who use their cleverness and ingenuity for good. And you know them. In fact, you're probably one of them. Parents are the smartest, most prolific hackers around. Just think about it. When was the last time your parenting day went as expected? Raising kids, particularly in the beginning, is the most seat-of-the-pants job that there is. You make it up as you go along, and every now and again you stumble upon a brilliant solution or shortcut that makes your life easier. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about parent hacks. So what's a parent hack? Well, 
You delight in your child. Of course you do. But along with the joy, let's acknowledge that parenting comes with its share of annoyances and dilemmas and full-on crises, many of which require fast thinking under less-than-ideal circumstances. The diaper explodes when you're miles from a bathroom and you've forgotten to restock your diaper bag. The kid's fast asleep until the pacifier falls out of his mouth and wakes up screaming. I'm sure you can come up with a few disaster scenarios of your own. In fact, one of them probably happened not all that long ago. We'll start talking about genius shortcuts that you can use for life with kids when Positive Parenting continues right after this. McGruff the Crime Dog here. Let's hear from an identity thief. Identities are easy to catch online. I send people an official-looking email pretending to be their bank or credit card company and ask them to confirm their personal information. Books them every time. Safeguard your personal information on the phone, online, and especially at home because half of identity theft occurs by someone you think you know. Keep your identity to yourself and take a bite out of crime. Learn more from the National Crime Prevention Council at ncpc.org. A message from this station, the U.S. Department of Justice, Crime Prevention Coalition of America, and the National Crime Prevention Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought. My guest for this part of today's show is Asha Dornfest, who is the author of Parent Hacks, 134 Genius Shortcuts for Life with Kids. And I guess I should say author because you've compiled them into a book, but you were just saying before we went in the air that it's very much a collaborative effort. It's a group effort. There are lots of people contributing these things, right? Oh, absolutely. This is this is the product of a 10-year community at ParentHacks.com and now in social media on Facebook and Instagram. It's uh, There's no one person that could come up with all of these great ideas. I mean, it's definitely a, collect, a collective brilliance. Yeah. So tell us how it got started. You, you posted this thing, said, hey, am I the only one who... You know, effectively, that is how it started. Ten years ago, I was a relatively new parent myself, really overwhelmed by the job. And I honestly, it wasn't what I expected. And I found that uh, the advice that I was getting from other parents often helped me so much more than what I was reading in the books. And so I started a blog and essentially, you know, screamed out into the void, hey, who else has some, you know, something to contribute? What's working for you? And people answered. It was it's still a miracle to me that this happened. <laughs> Hundreds of people responded to me, uh, you know, and, and just started sending in all of these tips and little shortcuts. And um, 10 years later, here we are. So is most of it good advice? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about parent hacks is that we're talking about really practical tips, things like putting the ketchup under the hot dog so right. that it doesn't make a mess. You know, so these are just little tiny moments in people's lives that they decided to share and say, hey, you know what? This actually really helped me out. And it's not to say that every hack works for every family because, really, everybody's so different. And, you know, sure. what, what works for one isn't going to work for another. Yeah. But for the most part, I would say it is such a smart and generous community of people. I, I feel like it just opened my eyes as a parent. You know, I remember going through this at a number of different times with, with various kids of mine and getting a little piece of advice from somebody and realizing, wow, that's like, makes a difference. And like the one that pops into my mind, my kids are way old for this, but they, for some reason, the older two used to get their toes like completely tangled up with threads from socks, the inside of socks. And they were just, they were screaming and yelling about the pain. And somebody said, why don't you just turn them inside out? And you realize, whoa, 
I know. Whoa. It's, it's not a fashion show. But, you know, it doesn't have to look beautiful. So it looks it's got strings hanging on the outside of it. But you know what? They stopped with, the, you know. So these little little moments you live for, it's it's pretty cool. It can make a huge difference. And it's funny. I I sort of joke that you know these these are not problems of eternal significance, right? It's not like no. the world is going to end. But for sometimes when you're a parent. And, you know, your toddler wants a, the particular, you know, bread for the grilled cheese or whatever it is. At that moment, really everything stops and you just need to solve the problem. So I can completely appreciate that solving that sock problem was a big yeah. deal for you. Well, it, it was. I mean, it's it, significantly enough, enough that it, then, uh, 20 years later I still still remember the whole thing. One of my kids probably don't remember that. Although <laughs> my my, uh, my middle one, who's 22, her first words, my mother's constantly reminding me of this when she was like six months. She was a, a insanely early talker. Foot hurt. Oh, see? So who knows? Maybe this, you yeah. know, this might have really changed the course of their childhoods. You don't even know. That's possible. Well, then I have to ask now. I know. Now we're going to be thinking about this. Well, I think, you know, I, I'm joking around a little bit, but actually... Um, you know, I just think about what it was like when I was a new parent. And really, sometimes you just, you, you got to get to the end of the day. And having a little tiny tip like this to help you get there, it really can make a huge difference yeah. for another parent. So what was the first one that you actually put to good use? Oh, my goodness. Gosh, that was so long ago. How do I remember? I think, you know, <laughs> I think the first tips were really basic things like, you know, how hand sanitizer is so much easier because hand sanitizer was relatively new back then. Isn't yeah. that funny? Um, <laughs> but there are there are so many great hacks. Actually, one of them that made a huge difference for me was how to disable the auto flush sensor in public restrooms. Okay, oh. because auto flush sensors are really scary for certain for some kids, especially when they're just getting started using the toilet. Yeah. And so my son was completely afraid of those things. And somebody said, "You know, just carry post-it notes with you and stick a post-it note over the auto flush sensor light." And yeah. it'll just disable the thing. And I thought, "Oh my gosh." I mean, that completely changed our outings, which were, you know, they were sort of like <laughs> spinning the roulette wheel when yeah. we would go into a public restroom. No, really that was truly, a life I was changer. Just having this conversation with my my twelve year old about she, she was interviewing me for something. She's doing a podcast at school, so I was trying to you know, tell stories about her childhood, and she had the same kind of a thing. And I'm telling you, as as a single dad taking a you know eighteen month old or two year old girl into a bathroom and having her scream at the top of her lungs. <laughs> It, it's not good. No, <laughs> I mean not, we can laugh about you know, it now, but oh, it yeah. is not good. It really no, is it's, not good. You know, and coming out of the bathroom holding this kid who now is happy, but it's like, could you please just, yeah, post-its would have been would have been really good, but I couldn't take her to movies. Oh, I, I it know. Was, it was amazing. I I remember yeah. that, and and the the really funny line that my son actually came up with after a particularly harrowing incident in a public restroom was, "Who invented these things?" He said, "Who invented these things?" Doesn't. Didn't that person know that kids have issues? It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty clear-thinking kid. Right. He knew. All right. So let's talk about some of these things here. That you know, what, what's what's your favorite pregnancy one? There's there's so many of them. I mean, it's it's divided up into chronological order, basically. Yeah, there are and a lot of it, hacks from pregnancy all the way through preschool. Well, there was one hack that I actually thought was pretty smart, and that is, um, believe it or not, I. For when you're pregnant, there's this, uh, you know, we all know that for many women there are water breaks. And this is a very dramatic-sounding thing that is, hap that is going to happen 
yeah. for some women, and nobody knows when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen. And there are those um, who suggest that carrying around an adult mm-hmm. diaper with you, just tuck one in your bag or maybe even, you know, put it on toward the end of pregnancy just to, in case. This is a really yeah. wonderful thing. I, I, I thought you were going to say with per- another one that I've heard, which is you have to try to have this happen in the uh, produce aisle of the grocery store and have a jar of pickles or something. You're oh, supposed my goodness. You're supposed to jar and, you know, so just it all gets amniotic fluid, pickle juice, it all gets in there. Right. Who, what, they're not right. going to know. It just all gets, you know, they, yes. They, they mop it up, yeah. <laughs> But that's <laughs> so that was that was one. Actually, I thought that was you know, the first time I saw that. I thought, really? But there are I actually confirmed this one. I put it out there yeah. to, you know, people saying, really, is this really something that people do? And and um, many women. Sw- OK, swear so, by so it. this is a guy question mm-hmm. about that specific thing. Okay. Is an adult diaper enough to hold the amount of fluid that comes out? I, I cannot give you firsthand experience on this and I have okay. not done scientific testing on this. But I would think so. Okay. This is, you know, anecdotal evidence here, so. We that's sh- what it's all about. We, it, we should see. It worked see. for some people. Right, exactly. Right. So it I works for some. A, it worked for somebody. So that's like a Mythbusters thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they're off the air. This I point. know. Yeah. I wish we had, you know, a, a jug of water and, hmm, we could run our own experiments. So you talk about a little later on when, uh, when the kids, beyond pregnancy, about th- doing things, making the best out of uh, stuff that isn't there, and I was just, just having another conversation. Oh, I'm constantly talking about parenting all the time, but uh, about when you're not, you know, if you're not ready or you think you're not ready, you're just never going to have kids. And my parents continually remind me that my first bed was their sock drawer when they were both students. And, you know, seeing that, uh, you know, making making a wardrobe out of a bookshelf and, and things like that, I mean, just the, the ingenuity that people come up with, it's it's remarkable. It is. It's actually really inspiring. I mean, I, it, I, I think a lot of times people talk about parent brain or, or you know, they, they just feel like their intelligence, you know, sinks a few points after they have kids or during that sort of intense, uh, you know, newborn period because nobody's sleeping and how much can you really think during well, that yeah. time. But the fact is, I feel like parenting actually brings out this problem-solving ninja in people because we're so constrained by time and, and other things that we come up with solutions. We really do. And, um, you know, again, no one person can come up with all the answers, but when we sort of pool our intelligent intelligence and our brain cells, it's amazing what we, we can come up with as a group and a community. You know, there was a whole collection of different kinds of things that you can do with tape, not duct tape, but painter's tape, the kind that gets comes off a lot easier. Talk about some of those. Well, I love painter's tape, and I think duct tape gets a little too much glory, frankly. So it's time <laughs> for painter's tape to have its moment in the sun. So um, painter's tape is a labeling powerhouse. I mean, because you can stick it onto things and take it off easily without it ruining the finish, you can label anything with painter's tape. You can label sippy cups. You can label backpacks. You can even label clothes. Um, painter's tape plus a Sharpie. It's just a powerful combo. But you can also use it to, um, you can use it to stick drawers closed in a hotel. You know, toddlers mm-hmm. love to open oh, yeah. and close drawers and yeah. generally mash their fingers in the process. And so if you want to just keep those drawers closed, you can tape them closed for a while. You can put some tape over a, an electrical outlet um, just to temporarily baby-proof it. Um, there are just a, a tons of uses. Yeah. You can actually use it to make indoor hopscotch or, you know, some indoor Absolutely. racing tracks for, yeah. for cars, too. Talking with Asha Dornfest, who's the author of Parent Hacks, 134 Genius Shortcuts for Life with Kids. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking Asha. I'm Armin Brant, and you're listening to Positive Parenting. Green light. Hey, girl. 
School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! <gasps> it's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Asha Dornfest, who is the author of Parent Hacks, 134 Genius Shortcuts for Life with Kids, and also runs the website parenthacks.com, where you can submit your very own hacks, should you have any. Um, what? God, there's so many that are are mom oriented. That yeah, like the yeah the uh, diaper thing, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> so, just the, the, very, the thing. Yeah, the diaper thing, and then the, uh, the ironing the uh, cabbage leaves. Oh, <laughs> which I mean, this like not ironing the cabbage leaves. It's that it's a rolling. Roll, I'm sorry, roll, ironing. We're rolling them out with a with the. With a rolling rolling pin. pin. Well, basically, cabbage leaves help relieve swelling. So that could be like sometimes women get engorged when they're breastfeeding, and that is a very painful situation. Or sometimes their feet just get swollen during pregnancy. And believe it or not, cabbage leaves are an old home remedy for, for taking care of that. You just sort of lay on the cabbage leaves and lie there for a while, and it helps reduce wow. swelling. Okay. But I will tell you, there are many. There are actually a number of hacks in here contributed by dads. Dads were dads were my first big wave of audience when I started Parent Hacks a long time ago. Yeah. Because um because at that time the internet wasn't really it wasn't really a source of parenting information. It was just sort of something new. And all of the programmers and the the folks sort of hanging out on the internet were mostly in the tech business and many of whom were men and so many guys were really into Parent Hacks because it was a way to talk about parenting that wasn't focused on motherhood. It was really gender neutral. It was focused on problems and solutions. There were all sorts of ways to talk about parenting. And many times, women who came to my site later on said, oh, my husband brought me and said, I had to come and check this site out. In fact, that just happened just a couple of days ago. That's so so cool. Yeah, it's really great. That's something I'm really proud of, actually. Yeah. And one of them looks like it was contributed about trimming baby's fingernails. Yes, indeed. I, I will tell you a secret about that illustration. That okay. is that is an illustration of the illustrator himself. He snuck a little selfie into this book. <laughs> and I, I, I like to think of it as sort of an Easter egg. So, yes, the, um, the genius illustrator of this book named Creighton Berman, he's a new dad himself. He's based in Chicago. And, I, you know, this book really is what it is as much because of his illustrations as because of my community's parent hacks. Oh, that's great. It just reminds me, as I was looking through this thing, it reminds me of, of what you have to do to give a cat a pill. <laughs> you know, just wrap. I mean, that's just, that You're was another kind of, a, in your hands. kind of a hack that in a way that I had to give a cat. I've got scars. I mean, still from like 10 years ago, serious scars. And somebody said, why don't you just wrap the cat in a towel? Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> I could have done oh, that. Oh, you mean I could have done Yeah, instead of just. <laughs> turning my body over to this wild animal. It's true. Yeah. The cat's yeah. straight jacket hack. And the and bait for those who don't know or have forgotten, baby's fingernails are just as bad as as cat claws. Well, not only that, just you know, there's slice. this 
Oh, oh my gosh, you're, that's just I just had sympathy pain when you said that. <laughs> but the other thing about baby's fingernails is that they're attached to baby fingers, and baby fingers are very tiny and they're so delicate. And then you're coming at them with this metal claw, and I don't know. As a new parent, I was terrified that I was going to, you know, make a mistake yeah. or something. Well, a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is why I actually started biting them. Uh, you're and, not the only one. Many you know, people just bite their kids' fingernails, but if you, you know, if you're soft. not into it. If you They're want to soft just use and the edible clipper, and, yeah. <laughs> you just put them in the front carrier there. You know, <clears throat> so it has nothing to do with anything, but I remember <clears throat> excuse me, doing a, a TV show uh, probably 10 years ago, and I was kind of co-hosting, and it was a, a guy who had triplets, and he's a, a, just a really, really big Samoan guy, and he had these triplets, and he was just oh, way over his head. It just it, The kids were getting out to the dog door, and they were running up and down the street, and he would be taking naps because he had two other kids, and they were driving him crazy. And at one point, he turns around with one of the kids and is facing the other way, and I heard this kind of, <laughs> and I realized he is doing what, you know, what would sound really disgusting to many people, he was sucking his this junk out of his kid's nose. <laughs> and, you know, those are the kinds of things. I mean, so some of these these hacks, I mean, that's not one you necessarily recommend, but it works. And the, 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 I guess the message is that some of these things are born from desperation, and they work. You know, we could... <laughs> I won't get too graphic with you here, but I <laughs> oh, think we've all got we've all got moments where we sort of do things to help our kids out, you know, because they've had some sort of diaper blowout or something else. <sighs> they've got the stomach flu, whatever. We've all done things that, you know, probably before parenting, if someone said that we were going to do that, we would just we wouldn't believe them. <laughs> but it's true. I, desperation does, uh, you know, it drives us to be very creative. Let's put it that way. And um, parents have come up with incredible, incredible ways to deal with so many problems. And I think the thing, too, is that so many times we feel like we're alone in, in these situations. And when you flip through this book or when you come to, you know, search for parent hacks on Facebook and just see, the fact is that everybody's, everyone's dealing with a a complication or something. And somebody has probably come up with a solution for it. And the thing that's most wonderful is that people are willing to share. People want to help out, and and they know that we're all in the same boat together. And so there is a there's a really generous community out there of people ready to help. Now, what was your? You know, we talked a little bit about the first one. What's your favorite one out of these? Um, well, it's funny. I you you're looking at me, and you can see that I have my <laughs> book with me, and it has about. It probably has at least 30 post-it notes in here because people ask me, what's your favorite one? And I can never come up with an answer. So I, I'm going to randomly I'm gonna, I'm gonna randomly open to one of my favorite ones here. Oh, here's a, here's a total favorite one. I'm going to show you the picture, but okay. I'm going to describe it for everybody here. It's to flatten the toilet paper roll to slow its rotation. Okay, because <laughs> <laughs> anybody who's ever potty trained a toddler, this might actually apply to you if you have cats, possibly a spouse. Um toilet paper loves to just completely like roll onto the floor when somebody doesn't pull it properly. And this takes learning. Kids yeah. don't know how to do that. So if you just flatten the roll, it it introduces a little pause into, you know, the spin and so that it won't just empty itself onto the floor. That's good. Yeah. Which, you know, reminds me of at doing a review of some cray of uh, chalk, sidewalk chalk that Crayola had come up with a couple of years ago. And it was like Flat octagonal. It was octagonal. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. 
that's just not fair. My kids are past this age. Instead of chasing things down the down the driveway or all over the place, who, you know, same, similar kind of a thing. Somebody said, well, why don't we just make it flat? Uh, it's or have you ever noticed when you've, you know, when you've rubbed on it for a little while that there's a flat spot and it doesn't roll? Oh. <laughs> there's there actually a hack in the book to that, that deals with the fact that crayons and restaurants always roll off the table, too. So I know it's, it's, a, it's a similar thing. It's like, really? Somebody thought of that. Yeah. So there's a lot of art, art ones. Art ones, Give us an art one. An art one. Hmm. Let's see. I'm I'm rifling through my mental bank here. Well, um, this one actually I came up with. I did come up with a few of these hacks, I'm proud to say. And that was that you can buy these handled cleaning caddies. They're plastic caddies generally used for carrying cleaners and sponges or whatever from, from room to room. And I found that it worked really, really well as an art caddy. So I used it to store art supplies like markers, crayons, you know, even some paper and other art supplies. And that way it would be very easy to take from the shelf to the table to do an art project. That was a really, that was a really helpful one. Okay. And uh, another one that was, that's a total, like this one solves a major problem. The major problem being glitter. Glitter. (laughs) Someone recently referred to glitter as the herpes of the art world, which I thought was rather colorful and interesting. But- Glitter always gets spilled, and one parent came up with a solution that if you just roll Play-Doh over the glitter, it will both clean up the glitter from the table, and it will also turn the Play-Doh nice and sparkly. So you sort of have like a bonus. And can you roll it all over your child's body is the question, because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of it always ends up. You're always picking little pieces of glitter out of your hair three days later or I something. I know, but really, glitter in your hair? Well, that's not such a bad problem. Looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> yeah, if you're a kid, I guess, if you're... If you have a big, big time job and you have to go, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, maybe, maybe it doesn't but, doesn't look so professional. Yeah, I don't know who cares about professional anymore. It's you reach a certain point, it's just, just get used to it already. Right, I yeah. think so. I think if you just sort of wear it with, with moxie, you'll be okay. So tell us a little bit more about ParentHacks.com. So ParentHacks.com is my blog. I have been writing it for for ten years. It's it's evolved a lot over the years both as the internet has changed and certainly as I have changed as a parent because certainly my needs are different. I now have a, believe it or not, teenager. So um, now I I do most of my hack sharing actually in social media. So um, new hacks are still coming in every single day on Instagram, on Facebook. If you search for parent hacks on any social platform that you like, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, also Tumblr, um, you'll find find what I'm doing. And on the blog, I'm sharing... um, stories from parenting. I write longer articles. I also share show notes from my own podcast. I do a podcast with my the co-author of my previous book called Minimalist Parenting, and the podcast is called Edit Your Life, and it's all about simplifying your life and making room for what's important. Cool. Asha Dornfest, the author of Parent Hacks, 134 Genius Shortcuts for Life with Kids. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you coming for having in. me. Sure. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.